Episode 100. To quiet the TV static of other voices. To open your thoughts and take in the mind jasmine. This is why the poem is at the beginning. Greetings and welcome into the Patuxent General's 100th episode. I thought for this momentous occasion we would discuss our origin story. And right off the bat, although I know I do this every week, what actually keeps us going here at the Patuxent General is our Patreon subscribers. For either 3 5 or $18 a month, you too could be a Patreon subscriber and receive early ad-free episodes each week, special content like copies of recipes, and even may receive the limited edition Patuxent General mug and bumper sticker as a bonus. That would make you one of the fantabulous founding folks, clearly featuring the fresh firmament by funding our future foundation. Fabulous! which makes you and them fantastic. You can find the finish in our show notes as a link to our Patreon page, or you could go to patreon.com and find the Patuxent General there. Either way, I wish to formally thank you forever. But right now, I would talk about the endless gift of the recipe and why I decided to give them to you and the delicious Yankee Burger. Enjoy. During my elementary school years, both my parents worked, and three-quarters of the year round, my father and my grandmother had a large garden in my grandparents' backyard. Between work schedules and garden schedules, my sister and I spent most weekends at our grandparents, and this could not have been a more normal New England home of the 1970s. Most conversations had to do with Avon, Tupperware, green stamps, church events, and 3 by 5 recipe cards. They discussed the recipes, copied them, made additions, and passed them around while drinking coffee and eating reheated coffee cake. If it was warm enough outside, my sister and I would be sent to play outside. But my favorite was when it was chilly. Then I would be sat down in the living room, I'd bring a book, to listen to their eight-track tapes. I learned the patriotic war anthems backwards and forth, but the shadow held me enraptured and Fibber McGee and Molly kept me in stitches. My grandfather went through life with a laugh in his chest and a smile on his face, and my grandmother had a song in her heart and a plan for everything. Watching them do sketches at church variety shows fed my hunger to perform, and by the time I was nine, I was writing my own radio shows. Cricket Magazine fed the writing bug in me. Along the bottom of the page, there were illustrated insects that commented on a story or poem, and they started every edition with greetings. And so I do, too. To honor my grandparents, I often include the highly valued 3x5 card recipes in the episodes, and Patreon subscribers can see photos of them coming up. This week, I'm nodding to the dads in the family with Yankee Burgers. Burgers This Way was a regular occurrence at the house on the corner as well as the grandparents when the moms and grandmoms were occupied elsewhere. I do suggest, however, that you do not copy the squishing of a burger on the grill until it was indistinguishable from the charcoal it was cooking on that was the norm in the 1970s. That was nasty. 
My parents grew up in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and only a few blocks from the house my grandfather built was a diner adjacent to the original Ann and Hope, called the Midtown Diner. My dad told me that this burger that we are about to make was his version of their burger. When he explained the Midtown Burger to me, I immediately realized why both men had their own very different versions of what I now know is the same burger. When I spoke to Dad about this burger, he said that his dad loved going to diners and that this one was the closest, whereas my dad was fascinated by this local sandwich, which would now be classified as an onion smash burger. Dad, who often sat at the counter, told me how they did it, basically. He says they took finely chopped onions by the handful and slapped them on a hot grill, then took a ball of ground beef and squished it into the onions. With a heavy shake of salt and pepper, it remained with a weight on the grill until the onions were caramelized, then flipped and pressed until served on a grilled bun. Grandpa's version was grilled outside without onions at all, smashed and very well done with a fresh white bun. Before I give you Dad's recipe, my favorite, I should say that I was extremely vocal about my intense feelings against onions in anything. I swore that I could always tell when they put them in and would not eat it, and they could add them to their own, but that they couldn't fool me. Perhaps this is what happened with Grandpa's. And now this is Dad's answer to keeping the flavor. For this recipe, for four burgers, you will need one package of four Thomas's English muffins. Any English muffins will do, but he used these. One pound of pretty fatty ground beef. Two tablespoons or so of Worcestershire sauce. Three tablespoons dried crushed onions. Four thick slices of cheddar cheese. Dad discouraged American cheese, saying, That's not real cheese. And a Tupperware burger maker, which was a ring and a plastic burger weight that fit inside it to push down the meat into a plastic base that could be stacked and frozen like Legos. Salt and pepper to taste to be added while cooking. He served this with a side salad as well as ketchup and mustard, but I took it with pickles. My dad would gently mix in the dehydrated onions while avoiding my glance. Lipton onion soup burgers were big at this time, but he didn't believe in prepackaged foods due to the preservatives, so he did this. Then, also gently, shaped the mix into four equal parts, then into burgers using the press. He would use a hot pan and put the burger in at the same time, but not squish them. Just let them sit until a crust formed at the bottom. Then he happened to sprinkle on salt and pepper and Worcestershire sauce on top. Once it was crusty, he would flip them and not smash them, but cover this side well with salt and pepper and a little Worcestershire. He cooked them until they had bounce back about medium rare and then removed them from the pan, covered them with cheese and then domed them with tin foil. While these rest, he would toast the English muffins. Crispy, not burned, and for the love of Pete, not limp, which is just as disturbing as a weak handshake to seal the deal. Creepy. When you have achieved 
crispy nooks and crannies to catch those juices, dress your burger your way, and enjoy it like it's 1981. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. We have talked about Little Falls before, and I'm sure we will again. For over a dozen years, I worked with my Little Falls family. And the community came together every morning there, and we shared births, deaths, weddings, moves, and graduations with food and coffee. While we worked, we would discuss our favorite recipes, what we had last night, what cocktails we enjoyed while on date night, all the time listening to Bob Dylan's Theme Time Radio Hour. While working there, I was approached by some friends at the Patuxet Village Farmer's Market. Their problem was... Their bakery was overwhelmed, baking for the market by themselves, so they wouldn't be able to make it for the upcoming season. I didn't make bread, but I did make pizza, scones, cookies, soups, and quiches at Little Falls, which gave me an idea. What if I broke up one baked goods table into three bakeries? This began my relationship with the farmer's market as a vendor, which meant a lot more time behind the counter. Scooping an average of 360 scones a week alone kept me busy. And while I did that, I had the opportunity to listen to the first of the burgeoning podcasts, which reminded me of my love of radio broadcasting. Years go by, and changes happen whether we like them or not, and eventually our little family was bought out. For a few years I hung on, learning new skills, and excitedly starting the Patuxet General to reach out to my Patuxet Village family that I missed so much. But within a month of our first episode, my hours at the bakery were cut to two days a week, and by the new year, I was completely unemployed for the first time in 20 years. During COVID, I had baked at night listening to podcasts alone, and by the time I was unemployed, I had been out of my community for two years. Whenever I went to the grocery store, I would run into folks who would ask about Little Falls and how they could get those foods now, and could I give out the recipes? I tried to answer them in the podcast, picking recipes that were the most popular at first. We started getting everything in order by filming sunrises in the cove, just sitting, absorbing the fresh air and coffee. We released the videos on YouTube under Fundasty Meditational Television, where you can find them, by the way. And I couldn't get the desire for folks to get together out of my mind. Something like the farmer's market and still capturing the year-round usefulness of Little Falls. Tuxet Village had a general store for years, and it was highly missed. And my thoughts turned to the old-fashioned general stores in northern New England. Tiny places, crammed with goods, and folks stopping by for local news. Perhaps a tall tale or two. I wanted this for Patuxet Village, both a feeling on the podcast and in reality. And while I watched sunrises, I planned the pop-up. We finished the winter this way, 
and when spring and gaspy days hit, some friends invited me to set up a table outside their store promoting the podcast. I was thrilled. I knew that friends would stop by, so I gathered all the special treats I knew they missed. And my team danced through endless paperwork hoops, and we opened the Patuxet General. And while I continued to address the missing recipes and cocktails for my friends on the podcast, as well as the house on the corner. Over the years, I have heard from many different sources that my exposure as a baby to ghosts, spiritual energies, or demons, whatever you want to call them, and truly, I'm not even sure, affected my sensitivity to them later in life. We moved to the Edgewood Patuxet Village area when I was a toddler and into the house in the corner just before I went into kindergarten. Most of the houses in the area were at least a 100 years old, so when my parents came across this beautiful Victorian on the corner at such a great price, they jumped at the chance. How were they to know that the rumors were very true about it being haunted? I noticed strange things in the house from the beginning. Shadows in lighted places, cold, cold rooms in the middle of summer. And when I spoke up about these things, my loving religious family members were supportive, but what could they do? When I moved to the third floor by myself, things greatly escalated, and at night, I was on my own. I slept over my friends' houses whenever I could, and only made the mistake of reciprocating a few times. It always ended up with the visitors taking me aside outside the house, saying that they heard or saw something strange. Or worse, they would say nothing and never talk to me again. I was a reader, so I read everything I could find about Rhode Island folklore, ghosts, and local fiction, all of which led me to H.P. Lovecraft. I was fascinated by finding the places mentioned in his writings. In my own area, my first year in college, we moved out of the house in the corner. And while I was in Boston, the atmosphere had darkened considerably, and my mom found a buyer. I thought that I was done with invisible and barely visible visitors. We moved out, but while I traveled through Europe for school, I had dramatic experiences that terrified me, also with witnesses. Obviously, when I came home to the village and had found out that the house in the corner had been sold twice since then, I knew it was not just me. Then whenever I went to local parties in my 20s and 30s, I was asked about the house in the corner that I had lived in and the terror at Warwick Castle. I looked into other folk stories of disturbances, and there were a few spot-on duplicate examples, but most were lovely, exaggerated campfire stories. Let us be clear, these things that happened to me weren't funny or just a story. The house in the corner is real and still there, and my old closet window is still blocked over, but still visible from the street, a gaping eye from the third floor. But those real things brought me to a literary adventure that I treasure revisiting as well and expanding upon with you here in the house on the corner. We get so many compliments on the background music that we thought we would give you some background on our production process. 
The music at the Patuxent General comes from a wide variety of public and private sources, and we're proud to use every single one of them. Most of our music providers allow us, through law or license, to use their music free and without credit. And so, we're going to give them credit today. Two years, 100 episodes, and 20,000 downloads later, but better than never. Most of the old-school military marches we use to mark our place in history as an original participant in the American Revolutionary War here in Patuxet comes from the United States Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. We are proud to use the recordings of Lowlands Away, Water Music from Handel, and The Storm in the Valley, and Buemorde's Concerto for Five Flutes, Number 4, Movements 1 and 2, along with other selections of bugle and drum solos, as well as Reveille and the U.S. Army Song, and occasionally Old Lang Syne, as provided by the U.S. Marine Corps Band. The U.S. Air Force Band supplied many of the John Philip Sousa marches that we use during parade season. Everyone loves the jazz, which is patriotically provided by the public recordings of Pershing's own U.S. Army Blues Band, who provide us with Stardust and Dance of the Stargazer Weekly. All of these public domain tunes are readily available through the U.S. Library of Congress website at www.loc.gov or through the nonprofit digital library at www.archive.org. Sometimes we need to shake it up and license something more specific to our needs. That's where we turn to artists on pixabay.com. An artist there called Les FM or Oleski Kapluski provides our dark piano chords and suspenseful interlude music. He's very talented and also has exclusive music up on his own music site, lesfm.net. They are highly recommended and heartily thanked for their valuable contribution. The closing song is a clip from a 1922 recording of a Victor phonograph recording of Paul Whitman and his orchestra's song, You Won't Be Sorry, also available at the U.S. Library of Congress at www.loc.gov. All of this, along with additional licensed music and sound effects from Adobe, is rendered down into show by the unseen hands of our much-beloved producer, John Shermerhorn a veteran producer and helpful partner to the general. And that, dear listener, is where we get our sounds. Enjoy. I can't believe you've joined us for over a hundred episodes. Thank you. I would also like to thank all the wonderful folks who submitted us tales, be they true, chilling, or just tall. If you've been hanging on to a ghastly tale, a question about a recipe, a suggestion for a podcast, or even an order for the pop-up general store on Saturdays at the Edgewood Congregational Church, 1788 Broad Street, Cranston, our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com, and we can't wait to hear from you, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. For the hundredth time, I will say thank you, and I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxet General. 
a something for posterity production, pre-recorded in Patuxent. Thank you.